Good morning, One Church. I'm your man, Jake Luna, and this is Icy Cold on the ones and twos. We're going to be with you for the next four weeks, breaking down what it looks like to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. So without further ado, listen closely. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 5, Jesus told us, pardon me. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 5, Jesus told us what the virtue is that men should know us by. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. Yeah, we're known for throwing stones at our sisters and our brothers. Known for attacking atheistic intellectuals, committed homosexuals, and all the other actuals. Saying what I'm seeing, when I look at our behavior, ain't the same as what I'm reading in the teachings of our Savior. Classified by hate, remembered for injustice. So how in the world is the world supposed to trust us? Why are we known for throwing stones? Why are we known for throwing stones? Come on, come on. Why are we known for throwing stones? Tell me, y'all. We should be known by love. I know that there's a time for love and there's a time for hate. But love should be the virtue that carries the most weight. Wait, let me be clear with what I'm trying to convey. The sinning is okay is not what I'm meaning to say. All men are accountable, but I am not the judge. Jesus told me I should be known by my love. So all together now, I think that we should check our attitudes. If we ask the world, what is our defining attribute? Is it what we're for or things that we're against? That which we put down or what we represent? Why are we known for throwing stones? Come on, come on. Why are we known for throwing stones? Why are we known for throwing stones? We should be known by love. Thank you. from your phone. That's right. If you have an iPhone or an Android, a BlackBerry, or any web-enabled device, you can interact in this service like never before. Participate in polls. Send a Twitter invite to your friends, inviting them to our internet campus, and submit your prayer requests. You can also follow the notes and scriptures from our weekend message. Add your own comments if you like, and when you're done, send an email to yourself and save it all for later. So go ahead. Pull out your phone. It's okay. Just make sure it's on silent or vibrate. Now, you'll need the YouVersion Bible app. So if you don't have it already, go to YouVersion.com slash download on your phone, and you can get it for free. Once you have the app, click on our event, and you're all set. Participate, interact, and follow along, all from your phone using YouVersion Live. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being in One Church today. We're starting a new series today. And let me tell you kind of how we do this if you're new to One Church. One of the things we do is we will pick a topic, we will pick a series, and we will start talking about it, and we'll talk all we want to talk about that. And when we don't have anything else to say, we will stop talking about it, and we will move on to the next series. So uh, thank you so much for being here today. For those watching online, uh, we got some folks uh, watching from Clarksville, folks watching in Arizona. We have some folks watching from Turkey. So anyway, thank you so much for hanging out at OneChurchMedia.tv as well as if you're listening to our podcast. So we're starting a new series, and the entire premise of this series is what are you known for? What are you known for? Let's just play a little bit of word association. When I say the word Canadian, ever bacon, all right, all right. When I say the word French, somebody's hungry. Somebody is, and not just hungry, but hungry, all right, all right. There's American, 
Dear Lord, seriously, y'all. Y'all are some crazy people. All right, when I say all of this stuff, you have specific things you think of. Now, here's the thing, all right? When you hear the word Christian, you may, we would probably get all kinds of different responses. Because if you ask 100 people, what is a Christian, you would probably get 105 different answers. And let's just kind of dive into these a little bit. Some of you, you hear the word Christian, and you think, okay, to be a Christian, you means, that means you have to belong to this certain political party, or you have to vote a certain way. Some of you, you grew up in a tradition where to be a Christian was something that happened once you went through a class, maybe confirmation, or once you got baptized, and then you were a Christian. For others of you, maybe depending on what type of church background you got into, uh, you thought, okay, our church is the church. If you grew up Catholic, you know, you had this idea that our church was the church, and your parents said, you know, you really can't marry, you know, somebody outside of Catholic or Catholicism, and you thought, we are the church. To others, you're like, okay, no, we're not a Catholic church, we're a Protestant church, so we're not the church, we're just a church in a bigger universal church. For some of you, you thought, okay, in order to be a Christian, that means I had to get baptized as a baby. For others of you, your idea of Christian means, no, 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 you got baptized once you made a decision for Christ. Again, some of your different traditions, denominations, labels, you prayed a prayer. And you said these words, and you kind of said it, and that's when it happened for you. And others of you, you grew up in a denomination where you prayed that prayer all the time, right? It was kind of like you used it like ibuprofen or Motrin. You know, you, you know, I really didn't know if I really worked, so I'm going to pray this magic prayer, and now I'm a Christian. And, you know, uh, wherever you come up with, whatever label, you know, if I ask, are you a Christian, you'd go, yeah, some of you would. That's totally me. Others of you are like, yeah, but, and you would qualify. You know, I'm, I, I'm really not like these groups of people, or, I, you know, I don't maybe vote this way, or, you know, I have this tendency. Others of you, you're like, you know, are you a Christian? You would probably answer, no, but, and you would qualify it. And others of you, if you were really honest, you would say, you know what? I really don't like that word, and sometimes I don't even like those people. Because there's something about Christians that really just kind of gets me angry, and they have this view, this mentality of who they are and kind of what they do. And all of this stuff, and there's something about it that I've even heard. Uh, you know, one person who's very close to me that said, "You know what? When I see this fish on the back of a car, or maybe on the back of a somebody who does plumbing or whatever it is, you know, I really don't trust them." There's a great um, a book that I just read for the second time again. It's about Dave Kinnaman. And a lot of stuff we're going to be talking about today, I'm going to totally have stolen from him. So I want to give credit where credit is due. He wrote two books, um, two of which I'm stealing from. One is called Unchristian. Another one is called You Lost Me. There's another study that we're basing this series on by Willow Creek entitled The Unchurched Harry and Mary. And then Annie Stanley has one called Christian. But in the book an unchristian, Dave Kinnaman asked a question to 16 to 29-year-olds, people who were outside of the church. And this is, what, this is what he said, what do you think when you hear the word Christian? And he had this huge list of all of these different names that they could pick from. Here were some of them that they could have picked from. Integrity, 
loving, caring, compassionate, merciful. They could have picked from those and many others. Let me tell you the ones that they did pick from. Outsiders, people outside the faith, 16 to 29, the number one word that characterizes Christians in their mind was this, anti-homosexual. 91% of people outside the Christian faith said that to be a Christian means that you are anti-homosexual. Wow. Let me give you another one. Uh, The second word that topped that list, 87% said Christians are judgmental. That when you say the word Christian, you automatically think of judgmental. Third was hypocritical, 85%. Said that Christians say one thing and do something else. Other words that made it on this list but wasn't on the top three, Christians are old-fashioned, 78%. Too into politics, 75%. Out of touch with reality, 72%. Listen to this one. 68% of outsiders thinks that Christians, are, to be a Christian means you have to be boring. That's what I'm thinking, right? Really? And as a result, 24 million Americans from 16 to 29, their perception of being a Christian is not a positive one, but it's a negative one. Watch this clip. Christians are old-fashioned. Hypocritical. Anti-gay. Live in a bubble. Too involved in politics. Uh, they believe that they're fake, phony, uh, talk out of both sides of their face, um, have a list of rules and regulations that they have to follow all the time, and they're definitely not fun. Christians always have ulterior motives. So a lot of my friends, when they think about Christians, they think about people who have no clue, really. Uh, they live in a world that's not real. They're just kind of their own little existence, doing their own little thing. Um, and they are hypocritical. You know, some of them, again, we say certain things, we don't follow it up. People assume that you're coming from this closed-minded worldview. My non-Christian friends think that I am always judging them, that I think that I'm better than them. They assume that Christians don't like gay people. I feel like we're just in a place right now where we have to surprise people and challenge their assumptions about what Christianity is because the assumptions that people have about Christianity are so firm at this point that they can actually parody us with pretty good accuracy. You know, um, I said this first service, and it really wasn't in my notes, but, you know, this is one of those tough things, and I'm not hating on Christians because i got to be honest with you, I'm kind of one. And so are you probably, some of you are in here. But I think we just need to look and take a realistic look at what people think of us. You know, when I think of Jesus, I don't think he was anti-anyone. I mean, think about that. The people that Jesus hung out with, prostitutes, tax collectors, gluttons, sinners. So you're like, glutton what? Not gluten, that's gluten-free. All right? That the, if Jesus could have been anti anybody, he could have been anti all of those, but he wasn't. And, and that's the tension we're looking at today. It, it, one of the questions that Dave Kinneman asked in this book is can you trust Christians? In general, are Christians people that you can trust? Listen to this 91% of 16 to 29 year olds said that no, you cannot trust a Christian. Only 9% said, yeah. Christians are trustworthy. That's sad, and it's ironic. 
I mean, what's so interesting about that is whatever you, your worldview is, whatever you think when you hear the word Christian, I got some good news and I got some bad news for you. The good news is everything that we've talked about, praying a prayer, going to church, any of that stuff, none of that stuff is defined in the Bible as Christian. None of it is. And if you're like, well, you were talking with me or you were talking about us, then everything you've been taught about Christianity or being a Christian is wrong. Now, after today's message, some of you might get ticked and say, I'm just going to go talk to my priest. Okay. Some of you, you may get so angry and you may grab your Bible at home and you go and blow the dust off it and you may start reading it. And I will take that as a win. All right? But the thing I'm I'm, I'm wrestling with with this four-part series is what is is our branding? What are we known for? Did you know this? That the word Christian or Christianity, and it's Christian only occurs three times in the Bible. Only three. And every time it is used, it is used as a derogatory term of somebody on the outside labeling somebody on the inside. It would be like this. How many of y'all know a redneck? All right. Now, some of you, now I'm not hating on rednecks. All right. How many of y'all know a geek? All right. Sweet. How many of y'all married a geek? No, we ain't going to do that. All right. You see, we all have labels, don't we? We will throw and slap labels on rednecks and geeks. How many of y'all know some jugheads? Jarheads, I don't know what you call army people. I don't know what you call them. Whoa, watch out now. All right, hey, y'all settle down down there, Jack. All right. <laughs> I think I may get run out of here, all right? Just saying, all right? Anyway, we're moving on because y'all are a little angry. All right. How many of y'all know some angry people? I do. All right. Here's the thing. We all have labels that we slap on other people from the outside looking in and say, those are those people, right? We all do, all right? Um, we all, and, 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 doesn't, and some, some of it's not PC, some of it's not LMNOP, it's just it's labels we throw on other people because we're not in that group and we throw labels outside our soul and that is exactly what we see with the word Christian. All right. Now, we're going to be in two passages of Scripture today. The first is found in the book of Acts, and then we're going to end up very quickly in the, in the book of John. In the book of Acts, let's kind of go there. The book of Acts is a book in the New Testament. All right. If you look at the New Testament, there's the first four books are Gospels or biographies about who? Anybody know? Jesus. Matthew is, right, is written by Matthew, and he's talking about Jesus. Mark is written by a guy by the name of John Mark, and he's talking about Jesus, all right? Luke is written by Luke, and he's talking about Jesus. And then John is written by a guy by the name of John, and he's talking about Jesus. Now, that's, it's four different people giving us a, a perspective of one person's life, Jesus. Now, here's what's so cool. In the book of Acts, it begins with Jesus, his last day here on earth, and he's getting ready to go up into heaven. Because you see, what happened with Jesus is he lived, he died, he was crucified, he was buried. Three days later, he rose again. And for 40 days, he hung out after he rose again. And in the book of Acts, the last day before he goes up into heaven, he's talking with his disciples. And then 
Jesus is gone from this earth, and the book of Acts is all about the starting of the early church. I mean, if you ever think about it, and we're going to be talking about it a lot in this series, is how did the, all, this, all this stuff just begin? I mean, think about it. I mean, 2,000 years ago, Jesus and these 11, 12 guys, one of them failed, but these 11 guys, they, um, they I mean, 2,000 years later, we're talking about them, and we're 3,000 miles away. How did all of this happen? And we're going to be talking about this. But the book of Acts answers that question, how did all of this stuff happen? How did it spread? Because first, it started in Jerusalem, because that's where Jesus was killed. And Jesus hung out there for 40 days, and then he left. And then all of his disciples, after he saw him go up into heaven, they're like, what do we do now? So they went back and they hung out for about seven, nine more days. Holy Spirit came upon them, and they started the church. And everything started going good, and the church started getting really big in Jerusalem. And God's like, listen, it's not just for Jews. I, this is for all people. So he sent some persecution in Acts chapter 8. He spreads, and, it, and, it, and the church goes to Judea and to Samaria. And they hang out there, and then God sends some more persecution, and it spreads to the other most parts of the earth. Jerusalem, which once used to be the capital of Christianity, it kind of gets shifted and moved because of these persecutions to one of these towns called Antioch, Antioch of Syria. And all of these Christians are becoming Christians, even though they're not really calling themselves Christians. Look at this. Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. says this. Now, think about this. All of these guys are becoming Christians in Antioch, so the Jerusalem church says, let's send somebody who can encourage these folks. And they send a guy whose name literally means encouragement. His name is Barnabas. It says this, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Let me tell you about this dude. Saul hated Christians, all right, hated followers of, of Christ in the way, and he tried killing them and, and put them in jail until he met Jesus. And he changes, and now he's all about Jesus. So Barnabas goes to Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. All right, that's what. Look at this last part, though. The disciples were called what? Christians first at Antioch. This is the first word, first time that the word Christian is used. The very first time. And it was a derogatory term. How many of y'all, uh, you've heard of mini-me? Austin Powers, any Austin Powers fans in here? All right. What Christians were, were literally, it was translated mini-Christ or mini-Jesuses. All right? And that was kind of their, you know, the derogatory slant term, you're just a mini-Jesus. You're a mini-Christ, you're a mini-me. All right, so it says the disciples were first called Christians, but notice they didn't call themselves Christians. It was a label that was put on them. Now, let me show you something from outside the Bible about where it talks about Christians. There was this guy by the name, he was a Roman historian, and his name was Tacitus. He died in 117 AD, so early in the first century, and he is kind of giving us the history of Rome. And one of the emperors he talks about was the guy by the name of Nero. Anybody ever heard of Nero? All right, some of you have heard of Nero. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Nero. He was kind of a, he was a whacked out, crazy nut job, this emperor of Rome. And he looked out at Rome, and he was like, I want to do it all over. I want to do over with this city, because evidently there's a lot of traffic, there's all kinds of congestion. I want to I fire it all up. So he starts a fire that destroys almost all of Rome. 
All right, anybody ever heard this out of the history books? Okay, some of you, okay? And he decides to blame it on what group of people? Christians. Let's look at it. Consequently, to get rid of the report, the report that Nero burned down his own city, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations. We're going to talk about that later. Called what? Christians by who? The populace. So what that's saying is that the majority of the people outside of of this Christian thing were calling these groups of people Christians. Very good. Now, look at this. I'm going to keep on reading. It says, Christus, for whom the name had had its origin. So he's going, Christians come from the word Christus. Now, what is Christus? That's just a form of Christ. Now, some of you, if you've not been in church for a while, you may think Jesus' last name was Christ. Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, and Jesus Christ. It's not quite how it works, all right? So let me just kind of fill you in on it. The word Christ came from a Hebrew word we, they called the Messiah or the King. And when you translated that Hebrew word, it, it, here's the Hebrew word, Mashiach. How's that for you, all right? When you translated that into the Greek, it was Christus. And everybody thought this must be his last name. Christus, all right? So Christus, for whom the name had its origin, suffered extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius. And what he's saying is Jesus, he suffered a lot of persecution and pain under the emperor Tiberius at the hands of one of the procurators, who? Pontius Pilate. There it is. That's Roman history. You see, not only from the Bible that the the outsiders are calling these people Christians, but here you have as somebody who not, has nothing to do with faith or the Bible, and the populace is naming them Christian. Now, here's the point. Outsiders looking at this movement, trying to come up with a name for it, and they called the name Christians. But listen to this. Christians never called themselves Christians. They called themselves something far more terrifying, far more defined, far more disturbing, and something far more convicting than the word Christian. One of the reasons why, if I asked and polled everybody, what does it mean to be a Christian, we would have all kinds of different arguments and answers. And the reason why is because the Bible never defines the word Christian. It doesn't. In fact, Jesus never called anyone to be a Christian. Jesus calls us something else. And the reason why we have so many different denominations fighting about so much stuff and can't get along is because everybody is just comfortable. I just want to be a Christian. And I think God calls us to something more. I mean, think about it. To be a Christian, you can pretty much believe and do just about anything. I mean, how many wars have been started in the name of Christ? I mean, you think about it. If Christians were something more than, I mean, there have been Christians in the north and the south of the Civil War. How can both the north and the south a group of people say, no, slavery is wrong. And then you have Christians in the South going, no, slavery is right. How can you, how does that compute? Why? Because they're just satisfied with being a Christian. When it comes to the New Testament and the Gospels, and specifically the book of Acts, there's a term that's used very consistently, and it's not the word Christian. Something more terrifying, and here's the word, it's the word disciple. 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 Let me tell you, with Christianity, you can go to war 
as a Christian. You can go to war in the name of Christianity on both sides. You can do all kinds of atrocities in the name of Christianity, and they've been done. You can misdefine it, redefine it, undefine it when it comes to Christian. But when it comes to the disciple, Jesus and the Bible is very, very, very clear about what a disciple is. Jesus says all the time, if you want to be my disciple, you must first. And then he goes on. He, he, he defines it. But go back in Acts eleven twenty six. It says here, the what? The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. What is a disciple? It comes from the Greek word mathetes, and it literally means to be a learner, a pupil, an apprentice, or a follower. A disciple is a person who does something like this. Okay, I am trying to make a decision, and I am going to follow Jesus. So how would Jesus make this decision? And how Jesus makes the decision, I'm going to make it like that. That's what a disciple does. A disciple has this mentality. Okay, I, I, I have a decision to make about my work. How would Jesus make this decision at my work? And then I am going to make this decision like Jesus made his decision at his work. Uh, how do I manage relationships? Uh, how do I react to this? What is the most important thing in my life? And whatever Jesus would do, then I am going to do that. No questions asked. That is what a disciple does. You see, that's different than being a Christian. The word disciple is uncomfortable. Anybody can be a Christian. I mean, we even say this so much time, you know, it it costs us nothing to be a Christian, and it does. It doesn't cost you anything to become a Christian because we think Christian is all about belief. We're going to talk about that in a sec. In fact, look at what it says in Acts 6-7. So the word of God spread, the number of... Not Christians, but the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. All right? That was Acts 6-7. Look at Acts 9-26. It says this. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not really believing that he was a, not Christian, but disciple. In fact, how many of y'all are women in here? Some of you are like, I don't know. You need, to, you need to figure that out. Just saying. All right, if you're a lady in here, I got some good news for you. Here's the good news, is that there were disciplettes. Look at what it says in 936. In Joppa, there was a disciple. Everybody say disciplette. There you go, ladies. Named who? Tabitha. Uh, so even women could be a disciple. She was always, okay, what was she doing that she was a disciple? She was always what? Doing good and what? Helping the poor. And let me tell you, that leads us to our big idea. Now, I'm going to wrestle with me with this today. Because some of you are like, I disagree with you, and you totally can. But here's uh, where I'm landing today is the word Christian isn't defined in the Bible. So let me tell you how we've defined it in our culture. Because our big idea is this. Being a disciple is different than being a Christian. Being a disciple is different than being a Christian. Here's what we've done in our 21st century mindset. We think being a Christian is all about belief. It's all about in here. That to be a Christian, you have to believe. Now, if I asked you, what, did you, what would you have to believe? What would you say? About Jesus, right? You have to believe something about Jesus. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And I wouldn't disagree with you. But hear me. To be a disciple means you got to do something about what you believe. 
And most of us don't do that. You see, most of us, not just in here, but all over the United States and the world, we're comfortable opening up our Bibles and getting belief in being a Christian. And yet we can still go home and cuss at our children and yell at our spouse and look at pornography and treat other people poorly and then next Sunday you'll be here with smiles on. Right? Because Christian is about what you believe, but a disciple is doing something with what you believe. And Jesus never called anyone to be a Christian. He called us to follow him and to be his disciple. So my question is, what are you this morning? You a Christian? Hey, you know, I'm just, I'm good. I'm good. Good. I got some belief. I got my fire insurance. I ain't going to hell, right? I got eternal life. And when you speak about God, you got to speak it deep. It. I mean, that's what, that's a Christian. But, but a disciple, you got to do something with what you believe. That's huge. That's huge. So what I want to kind of do as we close today is I want to take you to the book of John very quickly, and I want to show you the night before Jesus was killed. He got, he huddled his 11 together. Judas had already gone, and he huddled these guys together, and he gave them a very fine point, and this was the point. If you're going to be my disciple, then you have to do fill in the blank. And that's what I want to look at. You have to do what? You got to go to church? Do you have to show up a certain time or put a certain amount of money in the offering plate? What, what does Jesus really want to characterize, to brand us? And i got to be honest with you, I'm going to go ahead and show my cards. It has nothing to do about right beliefs. It has nothing to do with just about showing up. It's something far harder. And it's going to take so much more of us to be able to make it happen. I think, really, if we would have gotten this right, I think if we would have just not, not just settled for just being Christians, so much of the wars that we have been fighting would have never been fought. The Civil War would have never been fought because the people in the South and the people in the North would say, it is wrong to own a person. Um, the First World War would not have happened. The Second World War definitely would not have happened. There would have been no Civil Rights Movement. There would have not been any speeches about, I have a dream, because the dream would already been realized because Christians would not just settle just believing, but actually do something with what we believe. And the thing, I think, that really ticks a lot of people who are outside of these walls off, and if you're normally not here and you're here, I'm so glad you're here, because you're, I'm kind of probably talking your language of the reason why you don't go to church. Because it's all about here and not about here and doing. And God wants both. So Jesus is going to sum up in John chapter 13, the last night before he's killed, and he's going to say, this is what I want from you. Look at this. My children, I will be with you for a, only a little longer. In other words, I'm running out of time. You will look for me just as I've told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus is saying, I'm getting ready to be killed. I don't, you can't be coming with me. All right. Now look at this. Here it is, verse 34. 
a new command I give you. The word new can mean unusual, strange, odd, impractical. Um, it can mean all of those things. And, and so they start leaning in. Okay, a new command. A new command I give you, love one another, which his disciples are scratching their heads going, that's not new. I read all about that in the Old Testament. I've read about it in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You love one another, love one another, love one another. So what are you saying? Well, it's, he's not saying so much. It's, I want this to be the mark. I want this to be the brand that categorizes you to everybody else. As I have loved you, so you must what? Love one another. I mean, he's saying this, Matthew. Listen, Matthew. You remember that time when I called you and you were doing tax collecting? Yeah, I remember that. You remember everybody hated you and you were a traitor and nobody liked, really liked you? Um, and, and I showed up at your house and we hung out and we had drinks and we ate and I just loved on you. And I mean, you, you remember how that? Yeah, I remember that. You remember how you felt after that? Yeah, I remember Jesus. That's how I want you to treat outsiders. Nathaniel, you remember that time when you and I met and uh, you asked where I was from and I told you I was from Nazareth and you said, can anything good come from Nazareth? You remember how offensive that was and how I forgave you? Yeah, I remember Jesus. You need to forgive other people like that. Oh. And to which, I wonder if somebody goes, can we just be a Christian? That's a lot easier. I just got to show up, you know, four times a month on a Sunday. I even go to a church that don't even do Sunday night or Tuesday night. I mean, I got it easy, right? Jesus says, no, I want you to be more than just a Christian. It has to go more than just up here. It's more about your beliefs. Your beliefs must lead to action. Christians. And he's saying, I want you to be a smaller category than just Christians. I want you to be known by your love. By this, verse 35, by this one thing, this relational breakthrough... By this one thing, everyone will know. Everybody say everyone. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you show up at church. Is that what it says? Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have a cross around your neck and you put a little Jesus fish on your back car as you go 90 miles an hour down the interstate. Right? No. What do they call that? A flying fish. They will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. Now again, I'm not asking, are you a Christian? I'm asking, are you a disciple? Here's my favorite part of this passage because, I mean, this is like so big, like so OMG. This is where, you know what, if we relationally got this right, outsiders would be on the outside looking in going, man, these people really get along. i got to be honest with you, you go to most churches... Even sometimes our church, that's not what comes across, is it? What comes across is, man, these people really don't like one another. I remember as a little bitty baby, m- uh, my mom and dad ended up going to a church across the river here in town, and they left because the deacons and the pastors got in a fist fight. We love Jesus. I'm a Christian, right? Hate one another. But yet, that's what most people think about us. Again, they think that we're anti, that they should be able to say, you know what, look how they treat people who don't look like them. They should be able to, on the outside looking in, and say, you know, look how they treat people who don't vote like them. They're so 
caring, and they love for one another. Look how they treat their children. Look how they treat women. Look how they treat people of other cultures. Look how they treat people. I mean, imagine if we would get this right. You see, this is huge. Because so many of us, we're categorized by what we're against, not what we're for. I don't see Jesus ever, ever, ever in the Bible saying, you need to be against a group of people. Never. Now, some of you are like, Chris, you're going liberal on me. No, I'm going Jesus on you. Because let me tell you what this thing... We have this idea that, okay, if we love them and accept them, that that means we agree with them, whoever them is. You could insert your little group. And hear me, how many times did Jesus, again, hang out with prostitutes, sinners, tax collectors, gluttons, whores, you name it, just because he hung out with them doesn't mean that he agreed with them, but he did do something, he loved them. What if we loved like that? This past week, my wife and I, we're watching a TV show on the Oprah Winfrey Network. Y'all don't judge me. <laughs> don't judge me. That's all I'm saying. Some of you men are like, man card, I need it now. All right. <laughs> anyway, um, but we're watching this show with Lisa Ling called Our America. And um, uh, Lisa Ling is talking about sex trafficking and prostitution in our nation's capital in Washington, D.C., and she says, she's already done one show on this, and now this is kind of like a review of it. Um, and what's amazing of this is she talks about this one little girl named Ashley, an African-American uh, little girl who at age 10 lost her mom to cancer. And uh, it, that's when her nightmare really began because she moved in with her grandmother and cousin. And her cousin was a bully. In fact, this is very crass, and I apologize, but the cousin would tell her, closed legs don't get fed. And pushed this young 10-year-old into prostitution. And everybody's hating on her. She's being abused. She now has a pimp. And at 12, 13, 14 years old, there is no hope for her. She is part of the sex trafficking. Now, again, What's so cool about this is she has now been rescued from that. You know how she was rescued from it? It wasn't because Christians started picketing. Come on. It wasn't because we started boycotting. Let me tell you how she was rescued about. There was this older couple that you're getting ready to see their video. An older couple who's two Christians who went to a church and heard their pastor talk about, you know what, you know what true religion is? To feed the orphans and the widows. You see, it's more than just belief. It's action. That's what disciple is. And they decided to go to a foster care seminar. And that's when God called them to, to adopt and to be a part of Ashley's life. Y'all watch this. This is a great video. Joan and Chris are a happily married couple living a safe and quiet suburban life. But six months ago, their lives changed dramatically. A few years ago, did you ever expect that this would be your life right now? Nope. Not at all. While attending a conference on foster care, they heard a message they couldn't ignore, which led them to take in Ashley, a teenage survivor of sex trafficking. They said, well, we're looking for people who are you know, kind of older and their kids are moving out. And 
And that's the real need we have. And I, Joe and I just looked at each other and said, we can do that, you know? And they contacted us and said, hey, there's a need. There's somebody that really needs a place to live. We just, Joe and I looked at each other and we just locked eyes and was like... We didn't even say anything. It couldn't have been that easy a decision. <sighs> yeah, it was. it was. Yeah, it was. And as she came in, she just has this exuberance for life that just draws you in. And as soon as we saw her, it's like, man, she'll be a good fit for us, and she'll be a good fit here, and, and we really want to help her. But every family has growing pains, and I wondered how Ashley would fit into her new surroundings. How has it been having her here? It's been really fun. Most of it, fun. <laughs> fun. It's always a challenge to have another teenager around. <laughs> but um, she's she's a dynamic personality and makes life interesting. It's, it's very fulfilling too because she really wants advice. She really wants wisdom. She wants, you know, she wants to grow. She wants to do the right thing. So it's so parts of it, I go and say, like having the, the, the perfect kid, you know. Please tell me how, you know, what I can do to, 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 to achieve what I want to achieve. Chris and Joan provide not only that guidance, but also, and maybe more importantly, love. I think what she has sensed from us is acceptance for who she is. Who wouldn't? She's adorable and Great. awesome. Um, and so she's accepted this is a love relationship. Love and acceptance no matter who you are, is really important. And that love and acceptance has grown into something permanent and life-changing. You think of her as your daughter? Yeah, we do. Yeah, that's... Can't imagine life without her. Yeah, you know, yeah. Already? And it seems like it's been years, not five months. You know, what's amazing about Chris and Joan's story is that they're just... They're not pastors. They're not missionaries. They're normal people just like you who decided, you know what? I'm not content with just being a Christian and just having a bunch of belief. But I'm going to do something with my belief. I'm going to become a disciple. And what's cool about this is you can do that as well. I mean, imagine what your home would be like if you were known by your love. Imagine if at work, when you went to work and then when you left, when people started talking about you, do, you do know that once you leave, they will start talking about you. They do. It's either going to be good or bad talk, but they talking. Wouldn't it be cool as once you leave, the talk they're talking, man, I cannot believe how Bill is so accepting. I can't believe how Tom is so loving, and I thought I was going to get fired, and, and Tom brought me in, and I wasn't fired. Wow. I, 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 or Joan. I just, I can't imagine, you know, just how you love Joan. Imagine if you were known, if our community, if this church was known by our love. Not that we agree with everybody. No, we don't. But you don't have to agree with them to love them. Uh, uh, I want to give you two challenges, and then I have two questions. Um, the first challenge is this. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, whatever you're kind of labeling yourself, here's the thing that I want to challenge you this next week. I want to challenge you to show extravagant love to someone that you don't think deserves it.
and that could, that's broad. It could be you going out to eat and a waiter or a waitress who maybe didn't deserve it, didn't deserve that really big tip, but you just gave it anyway. It could be that somebody at work who's been mishandling some stuff and dropping the ball, that you bring them in and you have the power to terminate them, but you give them grace. You talk to them about it, why why they need to do better, but I want to let you know I am choosing to give you a second chance. For others of you, it may be, you know, where somebody is, is talking bad about you and you hear about it, and normally you would go and you would rip your claws out and you would scratch their eyeballs out of their sockets. But you don't. And you say, you know what, I choose to love you. And they're going to look at you like, you know what, that's okay. Because they will know that you are not my Christians. They will know that you are my disciples. If you love, that's my first challenge. Second challenge, if you're not a Christ follower, if you're like, you know, I'm not one of those Christian, those people in there, and you've showed up today, I just want to say, thank you for coming. The next four weeks you're really going to enjoy, because we're going to squirm. All right, and I just, my challenge to you is don't always believe what you've observed or what you've heard, but check it out for yourself. That I will be honest with you, many times I misrepresent Jesus a lot, but don't just look at how my portrayal of Jesus is to you or these people's portrayal of Jesus is to you. Get into God's word. Start reading it. One of those four books. All right, got two questions and then we're done. First question is this one. If we are to love one another, then where did it all go wrong? (laughs) That's next week. All right, just saying, there's the hook. All right, just saying, all right. Let's go to the next one. I promise you, we we will be talking about that. Because where it went wrong, the church did get it wrong. And we have nobody else to blame but ourselves. Here's a, a last question. I've really tried to love everyone and tried being the better person. But you can easily get tired of bending over backwards for other people and not getting treated the same way back. Then I end up feeling bad if I actually act non-Christian-like. So what should I do? Great question. All right. Let's answer that. What did Jesus do? Do you feel like he bent, bent over backwards? Did it end up well for him? Jesus said himself, turn the other cheek. Now, again, we can talk a little bit more about this and we can wrestle through this, but I, I don't want to solve the tension in your life right now because you need to wrestle with this. It is difficult. It is hard. And what most churches do the last thing and I'm done. What most churches do are just content of making Christians. It's like a couple getting, you know, um, being intimate, saying that they're pregnant, giving birth to a baby. The baby is born and going, we're done. No, you ain't done. It's just now beginning, isn't it? Dear Jesus, right? Most churches are like, oh, okay, you're going to pray the prayer. You're going to get baptized. Sweet, sweet. We're done. You've got eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Yes, you do. Are you now a Christian? Yes, you are. But let me tell you, God's goal, our goal, my goal as a parent is not just to give birth and go, I'm done, and then drop the baby. Right? 
But that's what so many of us in churches do. We give birth, boom, I'm done. Right, let's mark it up. Got, 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 got a baptism. <laughs> All right? But no, we're called to come alongside people and not just ha- let them have eternal life, but give them real life now. Some of you have eternal life, but you don't have real life now. And that's what we're going to be talking about, how to have real life now in this series. Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much, Lord, that we could be able to come and learn and get so excited. And Lord, I pray that at the end of this series, Lord, being a Christian is not a bad thing. It's not a four-letter word. It's a good thing. We all need to have good beliefs. But Lord, I pray that it doesn't stop with just being a Christian, but Lord, that we would become your disciple, that beliefs would lead to action. I pray that our community, that onechurch.tv is known by its love and acceptance of everyone. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.